Good to see you all this morning. So, um, we've been making our way through the book of Genesis, haven't we? And I've been off a few weeks, and so I've got some things I want to say to you this morning. That's what happens when you have off a few weeks uh, from preaching. Uh, You really kind of gear up for the next sermon, and hopefully um, it'll be all right. Uh, I'm excited to share with you all what... uh, what we've got is laid on my heart, and I want to start off with a simple statement this morning that maybe you've heard before, but I want to share with you all um, that, again, this statement, it's this, faith is simple, but not easy. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Maybe you've asked yourself, who said it? I don't know. I said it just now, but I don't know who actually said it. But nonetheless, how many of you have heard something, or maybe a version of like that? Faith is simple, but not easy, right? If you think about it, there's some truth to that statement, isn't there? Right? Uh, the two most important commandments that sum up the entire law of the Old Testament, as Jesus summed it up, are what? Love God, and love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty simple, right? Pretty simple. How easy is it to do that? Yeah, not easy. Here's another one. Turn the other cheek. If someone strikes you, turn the other cheek and offer them the other one. Pretty simple. How easy is it to do that? Give generously. Yeah, pretty simple. How easy is it to do that? Serve others, considering them more important than you. Pretty simple. How easy is it to do that? When you think about it, all of these things that are laid out in scriptures, in our scriptures, are simple, but not necessarily easy. G.K. Chesterton famously said this, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Why? Because faith is simple, but not easy. Faith is simple, but not easy. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Right? If faith was easy, everyone would be doing it. But it's not easy. It's simple. Even so much as it doesn't matter even how old you are. A child can grasp these things. And in fact, Jesus says, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you have to be a child. But it's not easy. It's simply not easy. Here's another simple statement. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Simple. How hard is it to change your mind? Really, let's be honest about it. How hard is it for us to change our thinking? The way that we think, the way that we process, the things that we have determined that in our own lives that is true or and not true, that is right and not right, that is absolutely in between and we may not care about, all of a sudden now, we are challenged by the Scriptures to change our thinking, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. In other words, the reality is that for any of us who are followers of Jesus, we have to understand that how we looked at the world prior to knowing Jesus is going to be different now as a result of us following Jesus. And I think part of the thing that makes it so hard in the Christian life, among all the other things that Jesus tells us to do that are simple and yet not easy, perhaps the renewing of our mind is perhaps the hardest thing 
of all. Right? How do we look at our world now as followers of Jesus is incredibly difficult to learn and to transform into previous to our relationship with Jesus Christ and the way we looked at the world prior to knowing Him. It is so difficult. Right? Because old habits die hard, don't they? We are reluctant to let go of our own habits. We are reluctant to let go of those things that we have been ingrained in doing. For a variety of reasons, it's so hard for us to let go. And yet, we know that in following Jesus, we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Simple, but not easy. Well, there's something we're going to learn today in today's passage out of Genesis as we continue to make our way through this series that, again, is simple, but not easy. Is simple, but not easy. Uh, it's interesting that as we've been making our way through the book of Genesis, you remember that we started out with Genesis 1 in a message called A New Beginning, and then from there we learned about a new problem, and then from there a new promise, and then from there a new journey, and then from there a new covenant, and then from there a new offering. Well, today we are going to be looking at a new identity. And what it takes for us to have a new identity is simple, but not easy. In fact, some of you may be sitting here thinking, I don't need a new identity. I am fine with my identity. But the reality is, the reality is that for any of us who are followers of Jesus, we are going to have to understand that we cannot stay the same people we were prior to knowing Jesus, now that we are following Jesus. It's inevitable we're going to be changed. It's inevitable we're going to be different. It's inevitable that if we're following Jesus, we are even going to have a new identity. So this morning, here's what I'd like us to do. Here's what I'd like us to do. Is that we're going to take a look at what it takes to have this new identity. But first, I'm going to list two steps, two simple steps that it takes for us to have this new identity. And then I want to end the message this morning by saying why I think we may need this new identity. So instead of hooking you at the beginning as to why you need a new identity, I'm going to try to address it at the end. Let's pray it goes successful. Now, the passage today. I don't know about for you, but for me it's a familiar passage. Out of Genesis 32, Jacob wrestling with an angel. Um, Here's the thing about familiar passages. Familiar passages, I am tempted to simply gloss over. Here's why. Because I've read them so many times. I've read these passages so much that... The temptation for me is to think that I've got it all figured out. Oh, I know what that passage means. It means this. Oh, I know what that passage... It means that, right? In other words, familiarity breeds complacency that we get comfortable with this stuff. And complacency, here's the thing when it comes to Scripture at least, complacency can breed disobedience. Because if we think we have it figured out, then all of a sudden we might miss what the Holy Spirit may want to say to us different in this passage because we think we've already figured it out. There is nothing new that needs to be learned here. There's nothing new that the Holy Spirit can teach us. And therefore, I'm just going to keep moving on. And the reality is we could miss out on what God may want to share with us. And in doing so, we might be in danger of being disobedient to Him. So let me share this. If you ever come across Scripture, specifically a verse or a passage, that you think 
Oh, I know this one. I've heard this since I was in Sunday school. I've heard this in small groups. I've heard this in church. I mean, I am tired of hearing this. Right? Let me just, let me just clue you in on a, on a little secret here. It's not so much of a secret. Guess what? Here at Summit Ridge, we will preach from nothing other than the scriptures. So you're going to hear scriptures over and over and over and over again. It's going to happen. And you know what? That's intentional. That's intentional. Just the way we learn the best is repetition, right? It's how we learn the best. No wonder scripture repeats itself. We have the four gospels. Now, John is the different one. He had to be the oddball of them. Doesn't follow a, a, with the, with the other three kind of known as the synoptic gospels. John is a little bit different. Uh, but the three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, almost, for the most part, have the same stories with some details that are maybe a little bit different here and there. And it's almost repetition. It's the same stories being told over and over again. Why? Because that's how we learn. And so I want to confess to you today, when I got to Genesis 32 and knew that I was going to be preaching from this, I'll be honest, I was tempted to say, I know this verse, or rather this passage, I know what's going to go on, I know the point of it, and I was just simply going to be like, though this is an easy one, I don't have to spend much time on this this week or last week, and I just want to share with you today, wow, was I wrong. Wow, was I wrong. I think there's some things in there that I hadn't even discovered, and maybe some things in here that maybe will challenge you as much as it challenged me. I hope it does, because I hope I didn't do all this in vain. Put a message together only to have it kind of just land on dead ears. So I hope that we're ready today to hear a new perspective on this chapter. Maybe you too are familiar with this story, Jacob wrestling with the angel. Maybe you too have read this chapter over and over and over again or heard it multiple times in certain messages and all that kind of stuff. I hope that today maybe, I can't guarantee this, that maybe you will look at this chapter a little bit differently in a little bit different light than maybe you have previously looked at it. Because here's the thing, Jacob also was going to have a new identity as a result of this time. But in order for that to take place, there are two specific things that needed to happen in order for that to take place. And this morning, I want to share those two things with you. And in doing so, unpack this chapter, this beautiful, unbelievable chapter of God wrestling with Jacob and Jacob wrestling with God. I mean, right there, WWE, right there happening, right? Or it's WWF. I think when I was growing up, it was WWF, I think. You know, it was Hulk Hogan. It was the British Bulldogs. It was the Iron Sheik. These were the good guys, right? That's what I'm talking about. I even remember the cartoon on Saturday mornings. But now it's all changed. It's, you know, whatever. It's all fake. Um, back then it was real. Um, <laughs> so, this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at two things that are necessary for us to have a new identity. And by the way, every single one of us, I believe, has to have a new identity. Every single one of us who are going to be followers of Jesus has to know we are going to be changed. It's going to happen. But there are two specific things, at least in this chapter, that have to happen. There may be more, but these are just two things I seem to to have uh, uh, discovered in this that have to happen in order for us to have this new identity. Through the eyes of Jacob, we're going to see this this morning. All right? The first one is this. That has to happen for us to have a new identity. We've got to address your mess. 
You're going to have to address your mess. Now, here's what I mean by this. Let's take a look here at chapter 32 of Genesis. Now, familiar story, but I'm going to read much of this right now. Now, as Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him and Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mananim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell you, my lord, that it may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he was coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels, into two companies. For he said, If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. For I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. What is going on here? Well, we pick up the story in Genesis here in which Jacob and Esau, if you remember, twin brothers, Esau born first. He was, his name means hairy because he was hairy, red hair. He was born out a man's man already from birth, right? And then there was, there was Jacob who came second and he was grasping Esau's heel and he was anything but a man's man baby skin good old Jacob right and these two twin brothers grew up together and we know if we have any familiarity with the story that Jacob and Esau didn't always get along did they that as brothers they did fight as brothers they did have conflict and no doubt about that but there were two specific things that happened that Jacob did to Esau that caused Esau to burn with rage against his brother and to swear that if he saw his brother again, he would kill him. One was, is that Jacob took Esau's birthright. And secondly, is that Jacob took Esau's inheritance. And it was after that, that finally Esau said, I will kill him if I find him. And in response, Jacob fled and he went a thousand miles north a thousand miles north from where he was, away from his parents, away from his brother, away from his home, and settled in an area known as Haran, where his future father-in-law, but nonetheless relatives, were living. And he stayed there for 20 years. He lived there for 20 years. And during that time, he began to settle down. He got married multiple times. He had many children. And not only that, he began to get wealthy by gathering livestock and, and all sorts of animals. And he became wealthy as a result. And so he spent 20 years there. And then one day, God comes to him and says, go back home. 
journey back to the place where you came from. Journey back to the place where you fled 20 years before. Now go back there. Now, imagine this. Jacob, having thought that maybe his past was behind him. Jacob, thinking that now he is in an area with his relatives, he's married, he's got children, he's got livestock, everything is okay for the most part. Obviously, he has some tension with his father-in-law. But nonetheless, now out of all the things is that God is calling him back to where he fled from 20 years earlier. And Jacob knows he's now going to have to address his mess. He's going to have to confront the person that he stole not only his birthright from, but his inheritance from. He knows that he is going to encounter his brother once again. He is going to have to address his mess. This supplanter, this trickster, this mischievous person who cheated not only his brother, but also his father. And now his father-in-law. He was going to have to go back and confront all of that. And what he thought he might have been free from was now something he had to confront based on what God told him to do. Spurred on, not by his own choosing, but by God's command. I can't help to think that maybe he thought he got away with it. I will never have to see my brother again. Maybe my brother will have died. Maybe my brother will have gone on to a new, new uh, area. I won't have to see my brother again. But the reality was, it wasn't true. He was going to have to go back and face what he had done 20 years before. Let me just say something about this. How many of us have come to Jesus and we have hoped that in coming to Jesus we would never have to worry about our past again? How many of us have accepted Jesus hoping that, oh Lord, thank you so much, that because now I know you, I will never have to revisit my past again. My past is in the past. Jesus, you are my present and my future. I will never have to worry about it. How many of you have believed a pastor who shared the gospel with you and shared things like, guess what? If you accept Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, which is true, and anything you have done in your past is in the past. It's all good. You are now with Jesus. You will never have to face that life again. You are a new creation. Go forth and live in that new reality. How many of us have maybe heard a version of that before? And we said, Amen, I want Jesus. Because if I can accept Jesus, I will never have to deal with my past again. Because my past is in the past, and Jesus is my future. Amen? Oh, I got bad news for you. You want to hear it? You want to hear it? No. (laughs) Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. How's that? Right? Here's the bad news, everyone, brothers and sisters, church. We're going to have to face our past. We're going to have to address our mess. Jesus is not some sort of janitorial guy whom when we accept him and follow him, he takes our past and sweeps it under the rug, keeps it over and says, don't worry about that anymore. Just go on living. It's all good. You don't have to worry about it. It's in the past. No, 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 no. We follow Jesus. Chances are we are going to have to address some things in our past, the things that we have done in our past, the things that maybe we have been ashamed of in our past, 
things that we know that were hurtful to others in the past, maybe even immoral, unethical, etc., etc., etc. How many of us, like Jacob, did something that we knew was wrong and fled? Maybe we fled a relationship. Maybe we fled a job. Maybe we fled even a church. And we thought, ah, thank goodness I don't have to go back there. Maybe even we fled home and moved to a new area. And said, thank you, Jesus, I don't have to go back there. I don't have to see those people ever again. I don't have to deal with that situation ever again. Jesus, I am free. It's all good news here on out. No, I'm sorry to share this with you. I'm just the messenger, by the way. Here's the message. We got to address our mess. Jesus doesn't sweep it under the rug and he wasn't going to do this with Jacob and he certainly isn't going to do that with us. There are times that chances are we are going to have to confront our past. Let me say this. Jacob, no matter where he went, whether it was home or to his relatives in Haran, what Jacob was known for kept following him. He was known as a trickster, as a heel grabber. As someone who used very scrupulous ways to get wealthy, to gain power. And it kept following him over and over and over again in the relationships he had. He could not escape his past. And if he could not escape his past, he isn't going to be able to escape it in the present. And he certainly isn't going to be able to escape that in the future. Something has to be done. Let me just say this. If there are patterns in your life that you find yourself repeating ever since you were in a, you know, a child or even a, a grown up before Jesus and you find these things following you every single time, no matter what, no matter where you are, no matter what situation you are in, you've got to address your mess. And that often means having to go back to the past. Now, here's the thing. This is what was going on here. Jacob thought he'd gotten away with it. Well, you know who else thought they got away with it? David. Against Uriah. He thought he got away with it. Comes up. It comes up. And so all of a sudden now, he now has to go back and deal with this. Just like you and I have to. And let me just say this. God, Jesus, doesn't use our past to shame us. He uses our past to change us. Jesus doesn't use our past to shame you and me. He uses it to change you and me. He doesn't have us go back there just so he can say, look what you did. And rub it in. He has us go back there so we can understand what we did and have the opportunity to be changed as a result of it. Jacob now has to return to his past. And he knows it. We just read in this passage here that all of a sudden now he is freaking out. He knows he is going to see his brother. And not only that, to add insult to injury, his messengers come back and say, oh, by the way, we saw your brother. He's got 400 men with him. By the way, you do not bring 400 men unless you're itching for a fight. And Jacob's got his whole family. 
livestock, wealth, everything. So Jacob, when he knows he has to go back to the past, he uses what he used before that worked for him in the past to get out of these situations. He all of a sudden begins to think kind of shrewdly and he begins to divide his families into two camps thinking that, well, at least if one gets attacked, the other will survive. Okay. I mean, you don't know which one is going to get attacked, but okay, you divide it. Now, not only that, here's what else he does. And this is what is so interesting is he goes on there and he says this in verse 13. So then he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau. Oh, a present. Maybe I can, you know, kind of temper his anger by giving him all these gifts. And here's what he wants to give him. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on before me and put a space between droves. He commanded the one in front saying, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, to whom do you belong? And asks you, saying, to whom do you belong? And where are you going? And to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, these belong to your servant Jacob. Your servant Jacob. He's a kiss up. He's a kiss up. He knows what's coming. He knows what the danger of this is here. It is a present sent by my Lord Esau, or to my Lord Esau. And behold, he, that being Jacob, is behind us. Now, oh, that's wonderful. Jacob is being generous. He wants to give his brother a gift as a way to say, I'm sorry. No, there's also a double meaning to this as well. By giving these gifts to his brother Esau, what Jacob is thinking and knowing is that chances are if his brother Esau accepts these gifts, it will do two things. One, it will slow his his travel down immensely because now you've got all of these animals, including young animals that you've got to take care of. And secondly, these animals, and we know there was a lot of them there, they make a lot of noise. He'll know when his brother is coming. Have you ever tried that? The stuff in your past that all of a sudden just seems to keep following you and you deal with it by how you dealt with it in the past, doing the same things because it worked then, maybe it'll work now. That's what Jacob is doing here. Being shrewd, being a little mischievous, being kind of deferential, etc., 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 hoping on hope that Esau will go away. Have you ever done the same thing? Used what you what worked in the past for what you're dealing with now, hoping that it will simply go away. It's not going to happen this time. It's not going to happen this time. He goes on and says this. Then he commanded also the second and the third and all those who followed the drove, saying, After this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face, perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before him while he himself spent the night in the camp. Oh, he's trying what, he, what has worked in the past to try to deal with what's working, what's happening right now. In the present. And it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Have you ever had someone call you on the bull you were doing? And say, you know what? They see right through it. Have you ever had someone say that to you? 
They know what you're doing and they call you on it. And you know in that moment, it ain't going to work. It isn't going to work like it did before. And all of a sudden now, Jacob has got to deal with, how in the world am I going to do this? God is calling Jacob to address his mess. And there are two things we need to realize this, because I believe God also will call us to do the same. Two things we need to know. We can't address it the way we used to address it before. And secondly, and more importantly, God is with us. He said to Jacob, go back and I will be with you. He says to us, go back. And it's different now because I will be with you. With you. I will be with you. You will not have to fear. I will be with you. And it's hard. So hard. It's incredibly hard. We cannot use the same tactics that we used before. We have to face our past head on. But this time, God is with us. We got to address our mess. How many of us want to do that? How many of us really want to do that? How many of us would just prefer to leave our past in the past? Amen? It's okay. I would too. I don't want to deal with my past. There's a lot of stuff back there. I want to do that. But God calls us to address our mess. And we're going to have to do it. Now, here's the second thing that needs to happen in order for us to have a new identity. First is we've got to address our mess. Here's the second one. We've got to strive to survive. We've got to strive to survive. And I'm going to break down what this means here in just a minute. So we've got to strive to survive. Now, after Jacob now has been brought back to his home, after Jacob now has been confronted with the reality that he is going to meet his brother Esau, after he's been confronted with the reality that he has got to address his mess, now comes the most important part of this entire thing. He is going to have to strive to survive what's going to take place and the process that he is going to have to go through. And this brings us to the most famous portion of this chapter in which now we find he is going to wrestle. He is going to wrestle. Take a look here. I'm going to read the last part of uh, 22 here in, in chapter 32 and then move on from there. Now he arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok and he took them and sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. In other words, he put his family out of harm's way. He knows Esau is coming. And one final maneuver. He's trying. Move his family out of harm's way. Get them out of the way. And then we come to verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone. Key moment here. It's night. He was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. 
Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, I'll be honest, maybe like you, for me, I focused on the fact that Jacob wrestled with an angel. I mean, cool, right? Now, I'll be honest with you, when I looked at this, I thought one of two things. One is, either this is a pretty wimpy angel. I mean, the fact that Jacob can put up such a strong fight and and barely lose to the guy without the angel cheating and just like touching his hip, you know, and dislocating it. I mean, fascinating, right? But there's more than that just going on here. It's not just so much that Jacob was wrestling with the angel. It's really what was going on here that is really what many theologians tend to focus on. This wasn't Jacob necessarily just wrestling with an angel. This was more than that. This was Jacob wrestling with his consciousness. This was not so much about Jacob wrestling with an angel as much as it was Jacob wrestling with what to do and the right thing to do, knowing what the right thing to do and whether or not he was going to do that right thing. This was a crisis of conscience for Jacob. Think about it. How many of us have lost sleep over something we were going to have to face the next day, a person we were going to have to once again meet, a situation we were once again, once again going to have to address that we thought was in our past, that we knew that maybe we had done some things that were not good, but now all of a sudden we knew we were going to have to face that again. How many of us have lost sleep and wrestled with ourselves in the middle of the night trying to figure out what we were going to do? This was Jacob. This was a crisis of conscience for Jacob. And you know what a crisis of conscience is? Crisis of conscience simply is wrestling with yourself over an act that you may have done that you knew was wrong. Maybe even sinful. Maybe even immoral. And now you have to decide, are you going to act in a way that is right or not? This is what Jacob was doing. It was a crisis of conscience. Yes, he was wrestling with the angel, but the symbolism behind that was even more than that, is that Jacob was wrestling with his own conscience, trying to figure out, am I going to do the right thing? Now is my moment. And that's where the real struggle begins. When we have to address our mess, we have to decide if we are going to survive this whole thing by doing what is right or not. A crisis of, of conscience can lead us into one of two different directions. Either continuing to act the way we have always act or instead act differently, think differently, do differently. And that's really hard. It's really, really hard. And I love what Jacob does here is that Jacob hangs on to this angel. He hangs on to God's promise that I will be with you and he will not let this angel go until he is blessed. And an interesting thing happens is that as a result of the fact that Jacob is willing to address his mess and willing to strive to survive the entire night wrestling and knowing and coming out of this now, knowing what he needs to do, that he hangs on to this angel. He clings to him. 
And he says in that moment, bless me. Bless me. And the angel asks Jacob, what is your name? Many theologians believe that typically his name probably was simply Ezra Jacob. Ezra Jacob. Meaning, Jacob is superior. Jacob reigns. But now, the angel says, no, no, from now on you will be called Israel. Which, for the most part, the understanding of Israel was one who wrestles with God. That's not the meaning. The meaning is, God is superior. God reigns. God is superior. God reigns. That's the meaning of Israel. So now all of a sudden now, in all of this, Jacob has now come about a new man. A new person. Because he was willing to go and confront his past. He was willing to go and address the mess that he had made 20 years earlier. And that he was willing to hang in there through the entire process of wrestling with this angel and in doing so wrestling with his conscience that now he comes out of it and it is not he who wins but it's God. It is not Jacob who is superior. It is God who is superior. That's a crisis of conscience that ends well. And a crisis of conscience that ends well looks like this. It looks like a clean conscience. And not only that, there's often a mark of woundedness that comes out of it. We remember. We remember. Jacob was wounded. Now, theologians differ as to what that wound is. Maybe it was the sciatic nerve that was touched. We don't know. Um, But nonetheless, Jacob walked away from this with a limp. But it wasn't a bad limp. It was a limp that in the end said, God is superior. God wins. God reigns. That's the new identity. It's removing Jacob from his throne and putting Jesus on it. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, and we all have times of conscience or crisis of conscience. I believe. And he says this, there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe. I love that. Neither safe. A crisis of conscience rarely is ever safe. For Jacob, it wasn't safe. Nor politic, nor popular, but he must take it because consciousness tells him it is right. Anytime we have a crisis of conscience, we are going to walk away wounded. Anytime I believe we have a crisis of conscience, we are going to walk away with some woundedness, some scars, because it's never easy to do what is right in the face of what is so easy to do what is wrong. We're going to walk away wounded. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. So this morning, why do we need this new identity? Well, here's why. I think. 
I told you I'd end with this. So two things you must be happy about. One is Dan's finally at the end. And secondly, let me tell you why maybe we need a new identity. Because chances are, many of us, if not all of us, have at one time, or even right now, are dealing with a crisis of conscience. We know that we are facing a situation, maybe something from our past, and we don't want to face it. We know that maybe there's something we're dealing with, even in our present, and we don't want to face it. And we know that there is a decision that we have to make. There is the right decision... And then there is the wrong decision. And we know what those two things are. This isn't a gray area thing. We know what the right way to go forward is and what the wrong way is. And we are wrestling over it. Whatever it is. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that you're wrestling over. That you're facing. Maybe it's a job that you're wrestling over. Maybe it is a situation from your past and you are wrestling over it. And right now, maybe your name is Israel Dan or whatever your name is. Dan is superior. Because you're trying the old stuff. You're trying the old ways to deal with trying to get this resolved and it just isn't going to work. Now you've got to really face it. But understand this. Take comfort in this. God is with you and with me. And we all need a new identity. And we all need a new name. And I've got a great name for you. It's not my name. It's the name here. It's Israel. God is superior. God reigns. And if we're willing to address our mess and willing to strive to survive by clinging to Jesus through this process of addressing what it is in our past that we have done and willing to come out of it knowing what we need to do and that is the right thing. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. That is what it takes to have a new identity. The question is, are you willing to do what it takes? Are you willing to do what it takes to have that new identity? Let's pray. And let's lean on that power that Jesus gives us. That power being, most importantly, His presence through His Holy Spirit that He can help us. Let us pray right now. Father, this morning, I pray for any of us who right now might be dealing with a crisis of conscience. Jesus, we're questioning everything. Things that in our past may be coming up right now again. We thought that maybe we had escaped it. We thought that maybe it was resolved. We thought that finally we would never have to deal with it. But here it is again in our laps, looking at us in our faces. And Jesus, we're scared. Like Jacob, Jesus, we are tossing and turning. We are wrecked inside. Jesus, we don't want to deal with this. Jesus, we want to give up. Jesus, we just simply want to go away, bury our heads in the sand, you know, shove it under a rug. And Jesus, we know that that's not what you want. That only true life transformation, that only true life can happen when we deal with the things that maybe we have done wrong. Father, I pray that right now for any of us who might be dealing with that kind of thing, that you would make your presence known to us like you did to Jacob.
that, Jesus, we would choose to do what is right, not what is convenient, not what is expedient, but rather, Jesus, to do what is right, which is almost always the harder thing to do. Give us the power of your presence to do just that, Jesus. And out of it, like Jacob, who was this supplanter, may we be supplanted by you. May we take on that identity, Israel, in which you are superior, Jesus, in which you reign. Thank you for new identities. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence even now. It's your name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen.